leaders. Let's, uh, let's pray. Well, thank you so much for, for Cara. I love her teaching gifts, love her hunger for your word and to make your word applicable to us. And so thank you for the thinking and reflecting that she has done. We pray your spirit will enable us to join in right now, this time, this part of the season, to think of the wonder of you interacting with your people. So speak through Carl. Thank you for her. Bless her now. I pray she know you'll delight in her as she speaks of you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just chat amongst yourselves for a minute before I get the start. <laughs> nice, nice. Some choice, thank you. Yeah. Well, I'm um, sure over the years you have seen um, many a picture like this. And um, you may be looking at it thinking, wow, that star is massively out of proportion to the wise men. And um, there is a reason for that, because on the way out of my house, I thought, I really would like a picture um, on the screen. And I got here and like, on closer look, realised that the star was actually a marijuana leaf. So... <laughs> So my giant star is, um, in fact, covering a rather giant marijuana leaf. But, but it does say somewhere that it was a rather big star um, because they, they needed, to, um, you know, needed to point the way to Jesus. So anyway, um, these men who have come to be known as Gaspar, Melchior and Balthazar, the three wise men or magi, as some call them, and they are well-loved characters in the Christmas story. But they're only mentioned very briefly in the Gospel of Matthew, but they seem to appear in every nativity scene, on every Christmas card, and are in countless songs. Stories and poems have been written about them, and we actually don't know what their names really were, as scripture doesn't actually tell us. Uh, and we can only assume that there must have been three of them because they gave three um, gifts to Jesus. In fact, we know so little about them that I'm not actually going to focus on them at all this evening. Um, traditionally, I'm not actually meant to be talking um, about them until Epiphany, which is in early January. And so instead, I'm going to focus on three wise women, Mary, Elizabeth, and Anna. They were all very different women at very different ages and different stages of life. One single, one married, and one widowed. One just beginning to experience life one coping with the challenges and changes of midlife, and one coming to close to the end of her life. All three women loved the Lord and were women of faith, courage, and character, and each played a very important role in the events surrounding the birth of Jesus. Mary became the mother of Jesus, Elizabeth became the mother of John the Baptist, and Anna announced the newborn king's birth. I'm sure we've read these accounts of the Christmas story time and time again, barely even noticing these women. Yet each one, in her own way, has set a really powerful example for us to follow today. 
and we're going to take a, a brief look at each of them in turn. And then um, I'm going to share a few thoughts on each one of them. And then we're going to have a time of silence to absorb some of what God might be saying to us through their stories. So let's start with Elizabeth. Hannah's going to come and read. So I've got it here. Um, And you can find this in Luke 1. I'm going to read from verse 5 to 23 if you want to follow along. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zachariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zachariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the heads of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. Thanks, Hannah. So Elizabeth was from a distinguished family. She had a rich heritage and she married well, but it wasn't enough. Not being able to have children in a culture where a woman's worth was measured by the number of children she had was heartbreaking for Elizabeth. Being barren was a sign of God's judgment, a curse. 
And yet it says that her and her husband, Zachariah, were upright in the sight of God, observing all of God's commands and regulations blamelessly. They had done nothing to deserve this shame and disgrace, and they prayed and prayed that God would give them a child. But Elizabeth's childbearing years had passed her by, and yet still her arms were empty. She could so easily have been angry and bitter and hurt that her prayers had not been answered. And she wouldn't have been the first woman in scripture to react in that way. There's a whole host of women from scripture who, like Elizabeth, longed for a child. Rachel turned on her husband, give me a child or I will die. Hannah wept inconsolably and would not eat. Naomi, which means pleasant, said, call me Mara, which means bitter, because she felt the Lord had dealt bitterly with her. Like these women, Elizabeth could so easily have reacted to her own heartbreak in the same way. But she sought after God, even when she didn't really understand his plans for her life. And she continued to pour out her heart to him, even when it seemed he wasn't listening. And in the midst of her heartache, she chose to hold on to hope. She chose to walk by faith and not by sight. And then suddenly and miraculously it happened. Long after all hope was lost, God answered her prayers. And she said, the Lord has done this for me. In these days he has shown me favour and taken away my disgrace. God eventually answered her cries. But she lived for years childless in a society that put so much significance on having children that she felt ashamed without them. And although really tough, her prayers were heard. And Nikki Gumbel in the Bible in one year says, when talking about Elizabeth's situation, God hears more than we say, answers more than we ask, gives more than we imagine, in his own time and in his own way. If God makes you wait, you're in good company. The name Elizabeth means God keeps his oaths. When Elizabeth went years without conceiving, she had no idea that in later years, God would keep his promises to her. I wonder if you are waiting for a promise to be fulfilled or are waiting for that miracle to happen in your life. So we're going to take a moment now to pause and reflect. You may, of course, be thankful for a recent miracle or an answered prayer. So take time to thank God for that. Let's take a moment to pause and reflect.
We're now going to move on to Mary, and I'm going to invite Tim to um, come and read to us. Here's Luke again, uh, chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Thanks, Tim. Unlike Elizabeth and Anna, where scripture mentions the tribes they were both from, no gospel writer seems to tell us anything about Mary's family. In the Old Testament, almost everyone comes with a reference to their father or tribe. Background seems to matter. And yet there's no mention of Mary's tribe or father. She's not defined by who she is, but by who her fiancé is. Joseph, a descendant of David. All we learn from Mary is that she's a girl of marriageable age who lives in Nazareth, a village that's never mentioned in the Old Testament. This young girl, Mary, from Nazareth, is really a nobody from nowhere. And so why did God choose her? What was so special about this girl from Nazareth? Why did God choose her out of all the women on earth? Was it the purity of her heart? Was it the, her depth of devotion to him? Did she have the perfect personality? What made her stand out? Well, scripture says that she found the Lord's favour. She said yes to God. In essence, Mary told the angel that he could use her in whatever way he chose. She was willing and fully available. She said in Luke verse um, 138, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Mary didn't have the things that the world values, fame or family. 
But what she did have was faith and obedience. And it wouldn't be easy. Mary would face questions and doubts from her family, not to mention her fiancé. Had God not spoken to Joseph, he could have broken off the engagement, accused her of committing adultery, which was a crime punishable by death. She could possibly endure nasty rumours, snide comments and scornful looks, although that was nothing in comparison to the agony she would experience as she watched her son die for the sins of the world. She would not get to watch her son grow up and take over the family business, settle down with a nice girl and fill his mother's arms with grandchildren. When the miracle baby was dedicated at the temple, the prophet Simeon Simeon warned Mary, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Imagine being told that your son was destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. Now I've got a two-year-old son and um, being told by another parent that he snatched a toy or um, pushed another child over is bad enough. But I wonder what would have happened if Mary hadn't surrendered her own plans and hopes and dreams? What if she hadn't accepted the mission that God had given her to carry the saviour of the world? What if she hadn't been willing to step out of her comfort zones? What would have happened then? Mary completely surrendered. She knew some of the hardship and heartache and suffering involved, and yet she said yes to God anyway. She was barely more than a child, and yet she recognised the blessings of obedience, of saying yes. She was truly a wise woman, a woman with a willing heart. So in the midst of our celebrations, food, I don't know about your house, but often there's a family argument at Christmas, how might you follow the example of Mary who said, I am the Lord's servant, may your word to me be fulfilled? Is there maybe an area of your life where you need to say a big yes to God? Let's just take a moment to pause and reflect.
now we're going to move on to Anna and Connor's going to come and read to us. We're reading from Luke 2, starting at verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. Thanks, Connor. Anna was coming to the end of her life. At 84, she had probably outlived most of her friends and relatives. In those days, 50 would have been considered a good age. Scripture tells us that Anna's husband had died more than 60 years earlier not long after they were married. She had no children, and therefore no one, there was no one to really care for her. For some reason, contrary to what was expected in the culture, she had not remarried. And the culture didn't really allow for women to pursue a career, so she had quite a bit of time on her hands. She could have become the local gossip or busybody, but she didn't. She didn't spend her time living in the past, longing for the good old days. She didn't sit on the porch knitting and feeling sorry for herself, 
or complaining to her neighbours about her aches and pains or all the other things that come with getting older. She didn't succumb to loneliness or a growing sense of despair. She could have, but she didn't. Instead, it says that she worshipped night and day. She devoted herself to God, worshipping him, loving him, spending time in his presence. In those days, women weren't even taught to read and write, let alone study the scriptures. They were supposed to marry and have children and manage the household. In the temple, there was only one area where women were allowed to go. In the synagogues, women watched the services from behind a screen. They could listen, but they had no voice. Yet the barriers that society had put in place did not stop Anna being hungry and thirsty for God. These barriers did not stop Anna from seeking after the things of God with her whole heart. She had a faithful heart. She was faithful to the ministry which God had called her to, night and day. And now in her last years, she meets the infant Jesus and she thanks God and then goes around speaking about the infant to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. God rewarded Anna's faith, obedience and expectancy so that beneath the massive walls of the great temple, the old frail widow is able to speak prophetically of the one who will fulfill all that the temple is and indeed will replace it. She is now not just a prophet, but an evangelist. So in the midst of the celebrations, food, this Christmas, how might you follow the example of Anna, who worshipped night and day, devoting yourself to God, worshipping him, loving him, spending time in his presence? Let's just take a moment to pause and reflect.
to three wise women, Mary, Elizabeth, and Anna. They were all very different women at very different stages of life. They had their own unique personalities, their own strengths and weaknesses. None of them were perfect. They were real women with real lives, real responsibilities, and real problems. They had their struggles, their doubts, their fears. There were times when they didn't understand what God was doing in their lives, but regardless of their circumstances, they chose to trust. And I wonder what woman resonates with you most this evening. Is it Elizabeth and her story? The disappointment of unanswered prayer, feeling like you're being faithful, but God hasn't heard your cries. Maybe you're facing the death of a dream, feeling bitter towards God, putting a barrier between you and the one who feels your pain, putting a barrier between the one who longs to comfort you and carry your burdens, the one who wants to give you hope and joy and peace in the midst of your trials. Let your heartbreak draw you closer to God instead of away from him. Elizabeth rejected the lies of the enemy, keeping her heart attuned to the spirit of God, listening for his voice. Or is it Mary, a no one from nowhere? She says yes to God. Are you wanting to say yes to God, but fearful about what might lay ahead? Scared about what that might mean and what the implications might be? You might want to say yes to God for the first time tonight. Mary had the courage to say yes to God, but at times we might miss the opportunity to experience God's power at work because we're not willing to let him have the control. We're scared to surrender our own hopes and dreams because we're not quite sure it would be okay in his hands. And we don't want to do anything that might jeopardize our plans, family, career, reputation or future. Somehow we can't bring ourselves to step out of our comfort zone because we're afraid of pain and suffering. Unless we have the answers up front and can have the security that life will be okay, we're sometimes reluctant to obey, to follow, to say yes. We want some sort of guarantee, but God doesn't necessarily work like that. He wants us to trust. Or is it Anna? Anna was not like most women of her time. She chose a different path to the one that was expected in the culture that she lived. She didn't follow society's norms for her. Are you letting society's expectations or pressure determine the course of your life? Whether we're married or single, our lives have meaning and purpose. Each one of us can worship, each one of us can pray, like Anna. We may not feel significant, but each one of us have our, has our part to play. Anna knew her purpose, and she didn't let anyone's opinions or comments keep her away from it. Anna was told by God what to do, and she did it. How about you? Has God told you something, but you're afraid? And we see in Anna's story that the blessings of obedience far outweigh the blessings of staying safe. Sometimes a simple ministry, a quiet life of daily obedience, can be incredibly powerful. Each of us can worship, each of us can pray. Each of us can love God with our whole heart, 
soul, mind and strength. So as the carol writer of In the Bleak Midwinter wonderfully expressed, what can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? Give my heart. Having heard Elizabeth, Mary and Anna's stories, what do you sense God is asking of your heart tonight? Just as the wise men follow the star, so we can follow the shining examples of these women today. The women that had a massive part to play in our Saviour's birth, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. So let's take a moment to reflect on everything that um, I've offered tonight. And um, there's some little containers on the tables and in the baskets and the containers, there's some pens and some little tree decorations that are in the shape of a star, not marijuana-shaped star, a <laughs> star-shaped star. Um, so Connor's going to play um, for us and um, let's just take a moment to pause and reflect on all the stories and if you feel that God is saying either a word or just something to you tonight, you can write it on the back of the tag and um, hang it on your tree as a reminder um, about what you can take from this evening. So let's take a moment to pause and reflect.